0: Guys, watch the movie. Go watch the movie, Jersey Boys movie on Amazon Prime. Unfortunately, they took it off of Netflix. Netflix. Um, New Year's Day, I mean, for for a streaming company, is that style or what? <laughs> <laughs> yes. it's horrible. It's horrible. Um, um, it was part of the VIG. They had to take it, it off. Yeah, right, exactly. Right. It was just, you they, know, they were yeah. getting too behind on the VIG. David. Hi, Gia. Hello. We got, and wow, this is the this part is... where
1: we pretend that no one heard our conversation with our <laughs> guests, and then they pretend that they're not here, and then we give them a kick ass intro, and then they come
2: back right. in. Also, so do, you want, do I fall out of frame and do like, hi guys? Oh, I just arrived. If
0: you, it, that's like if you want to do like a magic act or like ch- see if you could snap your fingers, right? And see if, yeah, I mean some VFX. Somewhere. Yeah, exactly. We'll work on it. Yeah, I didn't, um, <laughs> yeah. It's like WandaVision. WandaVision. Right. Yeah. Oh I've been. Gia put me onto WandaVision, and I am fucking hooked. Have you I've seen it? I've
2: heard it's good. i I mean, I like those actors. I think they're both awesome. So yes. I'm. I'm down.
1: Incredible. It. It's so good. Super quick watches mm. too. They're like no more than a half hour long. The credits yeah. are about cool. 17 minutes, but <laughs> the credit. <laughs> I mean,
0: great. in pure Marvel fashion.
2: Of course, you know you have um,
0: to. They give you know, credit
1: where credit is
0: due. Um I'm, <laughs> I'm deep into the the CW DC multiverse. Cool. I dig um, it. yeah, so I I and I've really I never really been much of a Marvel person. Mm-hmm. I've seen maybe 3 of the films. Um but this is I always I One it, it, Division reminds me a lot of Doctor Who. Have you ever watched Doctor Who?
2: I've watched some episodes. Caden, my husband is big into Doctor Who and like and love sci-fi, all, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like not as much, but yeah, absolutely. So
0: it's not the sci-fi for me that reminds me of it, but it's a lot of... And it, it goes on in The in, in the Flash as well, the CW, DC multiverses, a lot of things happening in the background things mm. that people don't know about and that we learn about gradually as the you know forces acting in a way that the characters don't know about and right. things my- mysterious things happening and the music for this show is f- fucking brilliant also cool. mm-hmm. um it- it's it, yeah it's really really good um this is a shameless plug for <laughs> wandavision we are not sponsored <laughs> by marvel We're not
2: sponsored by WandaVision, no. <laughs>
1: Or Disney or Disney Plus, but maybe uh, one right. day. But this right. is, as david and I like to call it, we are. This is the deep dive universe.
0: Hey, exactly, and, this is the yes. deep dive universe, the DDU. We're the, right, DDU. Okay. the DDU, and and this is Silhouettes JB Podcast, the deepest dive of the deep dive universe of Jersey Boys, both the show and the movie. And whether you're, we're talking about the Australian production, or hey, we got a new New Zealand production coming up, and cool. we got a new UK production coming up. Nick Jonas playing Frankie Valley in the works. In talks, um, yes, yeah, yeah, in talks, G- guys. Don't ever bring up an article that's in talks to Gia, okay? She doesn't like it. Also, it doesn't—it doesn't serve any purpose.
1: It does not. No, I need a confirmation. If it's in talks, right? I don't want to hear about it, and yeah. that's that's. Quote. I understand, you know, some, th- some things are considered newsworthy, even if it's just a discussion. Um, for example, which we will talk about today, even, like, John Favreau was actually originally slated to be the director of the Jersey Boys movie. But, of course, right. you know, Clint Eastwood ended up doing it in the end. So, Did that Clint is Eastwood very
0: direct the movie?
1: You know, you know that guy, that guy, an actor guy, he's been around forever. He's really, really good-looking, apparently.
2: Yeah, he's um, tall. Maybe you've heard of him. I don't know. Yeah. At least... Westwood? No, Westwood. not Westwood. Oh, West. Beguiled that really Clint, crazy Clint,
1: movie that you watch in film class?
2: Westview. Westwood. Big no,
1: West, West. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah. Yeah. laughs> Westwood. Well, Michael, because Westview is the town in WandaVision.
0: Oh. <laughs> and it just it just so happens that we've got one of the stars from the Clint Eastwood Jersey Boys film with us tonight in the Zoom studio. Jersey We've Boys got legend. Legend. Legend, <laughs> legend wow. guys. We got that's a lot. Thank you. <laughs> of course. Michael Lemenda. <laughs> Excellent.
1: Here's the thing, everybody. Michael Lemenda is it for David <laughs> and me. No, it's true because it's in so true. January twenty twelve. It goes
0: it goes yep. back all the way back to January twenty twelve. You a, guys know we saw Jersey Boys for the first time at the Broward Center for the Performing Arts in Fort Lauderdale. And guess who was our fucking Nick Massey? Fucking <laughs> Michael Lamenda, okay? It was Preston Truman Boyd as Bob. We had Joseph Leobuery as Frankie. We had John Gardner as Tommy. And bam, Michael Lamenda. I mean, <laughs> imagine... I mean, I, I, we've see, I, there, there's a picture of you i think when when you were on broadway when you were doing it in the, the act two um, fall jacket hmm. um, first of all rip the fall rip the fall costumes in all productions yeah. right now <laughs> r.i.p oh. because they're, they're oh. not they're not in them oh that's sad no i know the yeah, costume so,
2: design in the show is out of control it's jess so goldstein it's
0: amazing. yeah amazing so it really all goes back to that January 2012
1: man. It does That was the beginning That's... of everything for both of us. It got us like further into theater. for me, that was my real first introduction. That was my first real professional show ever. and it got us into directing into the show into everything theater related even further. and specifically, it got us interested in our favorite character in Jersey Boys, who is Nick Massey. Nick Everyone Massey. knows what? we have it we do. We have a a, a severe Seriously. sweet spot for nick and we and, yeah, and you're our, like so you're our second nick on our show but like this is like pure deep dive into his this character nick too. massey
0: deep dive olympic I'm, level Olymp- dive. Exactly, <laughs> exactly exactly and you've won the
1: gold medal several times hey, so well, we don't thank you guys golf, of course yeah <laughs> it's thank true you. so you started in canada right
2: i did yeah yeah um i started i mean my sort of jersey boys experience I started a long time ago in the sense that like I, I had been auditioning for the show a couple times before I booked it. so there's a bit of like a you know story there, but I actually booked the Toronto company in 2008, um, which was awesome and like was a big deal for me. I was you know 28 years old and and I it was for me kind of like my first big downtown gig. It wasn't totally downtown because we were north of downtown, but it was a you know the first time I'd done. Uh, a show that was kind of like of that scale in Toronto. I've been working a lot regionally. I've done a cruise ship, and toured around the world and stuff, but but I you know been doing a lot of regional stuff at theaters across uh, Canada. And this was this was a big deal for me. So and it was so one yeah. of Dan
0: Cap's first productions, right? Or was their first?
2: Yeah, it w- I mean, Aubrey Dan uh, A is just an awesome awesome person mm-hmm. and uh, loves theater. Has such a passion for it and. What was so cool about it was that you know he saw this opportunity uh, to really bring Jersey Boys to Toronto and have it sit down, and yeah. uh, you know the, Dan Cap was obviously involved in that, and the tour had come through town and kind of really prepped things for us in a lot of ways, and and established this great kind of buzz around the show, and the, that cast was incredible. They were that the was first Jersey that was Wary,
0: Ranals, oh wow Kushner, yeah. Oh and, come on, and, and oh who was playing? Nick playing? Massey was Steve Gouveia. Steve Gouveia, yeah. yes, yeah. yes. Exactly. And, like,
2: Gouveia has been with the show forever since Years. the beginning, yeah. you know, since La Jolla. And, you know, so, I mean, that was just a stellar cast. And I grew up also kind of, like, knowing about Jeremy because he was, you know, a guy from Canada who went down to the States and, and kind of made it, you know, and did, right. like, lots of great stuff down there. so. So in a lot of ways when I saw that show I was just kind of blown away um, just by the sheer talent and I remember sitting in the audience going like, I gotta do this show. I just gotta do this show yeah. you know like it's just one of those things that you're like I feel like I can I feel like I can somehow fit into this show. I don't know how, but I'm gonna find a way. yeah yes. so
1: when was yeah. the first time you saw the show?
2: That was so that production was the first time I saw it up in the Toronto. So it would been the first national tour. And then I saw it on the Tonys, of course. So I saw John Lloyd and the cast, um, some people who, you know, at the time it's funny. You, I think of that production now and I go back and I watch like that Tony Award performance and I'm like, man, like I know those people now. I know exactly. some of those folks. They're your I got family. to work with those people. Family
0: everything, man.
2: I would never have imagined that I'd get the opportunity to work with those awesome folks later on. So, so yeah, it was pretty special. Amazing. Uh, amazing.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, well, just in case, just to make a preface, all of your work before we d- kind of dive deep into dif- a- a different tours and everything, um, yeah. let's just kind of go through Michael's repertoire. Uh, exactly. Meet if oh. you want to take it away?
0: Yeah. So <laughs> Michael Lamenda played Nick Massey, as we said, first in Canada in 2008 where um everyone um all four of you guys got nominated for the Dora, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did. Um which is a main Dora award. That's that's basically Canada's Tony Awards. Yeah.
2: Yeah, you know, they, it's regional in Canada, regional but Canada, in the Toronto right. scene like the Toronto scene that was like the big awards in the Toronto scene. So.
0: Yeah, and all of them all of them got nominated and Jeff Madden, right? Frankie, yeah, won, Frankie. The, won won the Dora. And then uh, he did the first national tour. You did that from 2012 to 2013, right? I think that's right, yeah. Yeah, and days before his last performance, he met Clint Eastwood backstage. Uh, Michael auditioned for the movie a few weeks later. This is an amazing timeline. Michael also played Nick Massey on Broadway in 2016. He's huge in the Canada theater scene and performed... (laughs) Regionally in Hairspray, Greece, The Rocky Horror Show, Guys and Dolls, A Chorus Line, Sweet Charity, Blood Brothers, Forever Plaid, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, and more. And he performed on the Queen Mary, too. What do you know?
1: The largest
2: show. Yeah. Unbelievable. You guys are so sweet. That is a, such a sweet intro. Thank Aww, you, of right. course, man.
1: Well, that's <laughs> not even the best part. So the, the, the main thing is, <laughs> so Michael Amanda, he, and he wait, has stolen more. the heart. Exactly. Always oh, more. He has stolen the heart of all of North America. Oh, wow. And the world. Hey, so.
2: I, if you can see it, I'm blushing. Like I know it's a podcast, <laughs> but man, I'm red. But thank oh, you, guys. You're very of sweet. Course. Of course.
0: And guys, watch the movie. Go watch the movie, Jersey, Jersey Boys movie, and Amazon Prime, unfortunately... They took it off of Netflix. Netflix, um, New Year's Day. I mean, for for a streaming company, is that style or what? <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's horrible! It's horrible. Um, um, it was part of the VIG. They had to take it, it off. Yeah, right, exactly. Right. It was just, you they, know, they were yeah. getting too behind on the VIG for Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so,
1: yeah. one regular question: um, Do you go yeah. by Mike or Michael?
2: You know. I go, I answer to both. I also okay. answer Emlo because, you know, obviously Michael is like the most. I was, firstly, I was very nearly Murray Lamenda, which I don't have hey. any judgment about the name Murray. Uh-huh. But my grandma sort of said, how about Michael? And so I became Michael. Um, oh. uh, but as you probably all know, Michael's a pretty common name. So I go by Michael, Michael L, Emlo, whatever you want. Emlo. I,
1: I love Emlo. Yeah, I, that. I once right. called my
2: grandma, I called my grandma G as a joke <laughs> and people got a kick out of it and because g was coming to the show and then they said well we'll call you m then so
1: there you go yeah.
0: you're from calgary canada right
2: yeah that's where my folks live now um and uh for those of you who don't know your canadian sort of uh geography which i don't you know don't worry about it um it's basically directly north of montana it feels a lot like montana so my folks live in calgary but i was born and raised in a tiny town called Stettler, alberta um canada and it was population five thousand. um so really it was like in the middle of nowhere on the canadian prairies um you know i kind of kind of like the texas montana of, of canada you know like that's sort of what i refer to it as because people know then oh it's like cowboys and farms and oil and hockey you know that kind of stuff so well it hockey, sounds like such yeah. a
1: really cool place to grow up but i had because it is more of a like a country town how did you mm-hmm. catch the theater bug
2: it was kind of a weird I mean, oddly, this weird little small town in the middle of nowhere had this great art scene. They had a Gilbert and Sullivan like group no that way. would perform at the Performing Arts Center. Wow. There was a there was a singing group full of ladies there called like Best Friends, I think it was called and they put on concerts and yeah. you know, so it had this kind of like strangely thriving arts community. So, um a really young arts teacher and a drama teacher came to town. They ended up marrying each other later later on, uh, Mr. Dobson nice. and Miss Pearson, and they kind of like came in right when I was coming through junior high and high school. So That's I got awesome. into the you know the theater sort of side of things because of them, and, and we toured and did like a bunch of like one act festivals and. You know, in a small town, when there's not a lot of guys interested in drama, you kind of get a lot of opportunities.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so,
2: and and previous to that, I I started at a young age um, studying classical piano. Mm-hmm. So, like in grade one, I started classical piano and played clarinet oh, in the band. Oh, You know, it was part of the the bell choir, all that kind of stuff.
1: What were your favorite bands growing up?
2: Oh gosh. Like through high school and stuff, it was all that singer. So I'm older than y'all. I feel like by a good solid decade or so, if not more. And so I was into like singer songwriters, but like you two um, was still touring at that time. So I'm really dating myself. Now. No, you're not. But I remember like
0: it's it's I, totally okay. I mean, me and Gia don't live in this time at all. Don't live in this uh, century. Or,
2: right. You have yeah. an appreciation for good music and music that's got history. And like, exactly. I'm sure, you know, as well as pop music, you seem like you you have a good sense of that. But oh, thanks. Yeah. You too. And, and those people and Dave Matthews Band. Yeah. It's kind of like I could totally.
1: Stuff. OK, if there's a Dave Matthews Band musical, you have to do it.
2: I would love that. Oh, my gosh. Please make oh that happen. Oh, my
1: God. OK. All
2: right. Yeah. Talk. Talk to the people, y'all. Well, Des.
0: Let's Des. Happen. Come on. Yeah. yeah our it. people yeah. will call your
1: people. <laughs> and <laughs> by music. our people, we just. Yep. Meet. Silhouettes, <laughs> <laughs> Great, good. <laughs> oh my god no, I could totally see that for you that sounds so cool I would love to see you do that because your your vocal range like yes of course you play bass for Nick Massey but you you can definitely get into that that real like bluegrass sound
2: yeah music. I mean my dad loved music he had a real big LP collection growing up and so he had he still loves his records and his like player and, uh, you know, so I kind of grew up on James Taylor and yes. Sting and nice. and the police and, you know, I
1: could totally CCR. see that with you. Oh my
2: yeah. You know, I, I, I didn't... Classic I, rock. I
0: didn't yeah. learn until recently that Sting and the police, same thing. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know.
2: Yeah, it was a thing. And, you know, I was really into all that kind of stuff growing That's up. Awesome. And so. yeah,
1: cool. And your dad was a professional hockey player?
2: He was, crazily enough. He was, you know... Super young, I think he was 18, and he was drafted into the NHL um, down in the States. And then throughout the 70s, played uh, in the WHA, which at the time was the rival league to the NHL. It was like the rougher league. They didn't didn't play with masks on their Like, they didn't have masks. There were lots of people with no teeth. Like, it was a rough league.
0: Oh, my God.
2: But it, it, it paid really well. And so I think that's why he ended up, like, kind of spending most of his time there. So they retired to go start a family. But little did they know they had already started a family in Indianapolis before they went back to B C. So Ooh. La la. Which was uh yeah, um, spoiler alert, I, you know, sometimes, uh, this is a little TMI, but sometimes IUDs are not 100%. But <laughs> sure, sure. Oh <laughs> my God. <laughs> so, yeah, they, so my dad retired hockey, and um, somewhere in Indianapolis, I was conceived, and they were headed back to Calgary, um, I think okay. actually specifically to BC to start a new family, and wow. they had already started one. So. Hey,
1: well, all out of love, that's what matters. Exactly. That's you so know. cool.
2: It was going to happen. It was, right. I guess it was going to happen either way. it was going
0: to so. happen, if it was, exactly. So I was a mistake. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> no, you were oh my Well, God. aren't we
1: all, I, I yeah. was, we're all mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> I think
0: we've that. In in the off do you watch The Office, Michael?
2: I do, yeah. So like Well I watched let me preface that. I yeah. watched BBC Office. I watched the uh-huh. Ricky Gervais. Oh
0: okay, gotcha, gotcha. So yeah. <laughs> well basically fuck you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs>
2: No, I, I take that. It's polarizing. It's polarizing.
1: <laughs> no,
0: me and Gia were actually just talking about this. You know, you, you no. just can't compare 'em, you know? No. But so anyway, so <laughs> later on in the series, I think like season six or season seven, um uh, so two of the characters have a kid and they're they all have they, they have a bunch of meetings in the conference room that have no meaning whatsoever like it's like arbitrary meetings and one of them says to the co- like one of the uh, the workers says to the couple why don't you just admit that your baby was a mistake and, then, <laughs> <laughs> and, and the, the the couple was drunk and they were like well, <laughs> she wasn't a mistake it was surprising but <laughs>
2: I think that's uh, similar. I'm sure if you asked my parents that, they would probably say the same thing.
1: Your parents seem like the sweetest people. Like, you would never, like for me, My I would I would never know that your dad was in a very aggressive hockey league. He just seems so sweet.
2: <laughs> I mean, I I think I've said it before uh, sometimes. I based a lot of Nick Massey on my dad. He's this kind of like stoic, you know, doesn't say a whole bunch, but when he speaks, he's, th- you know, he speaks thoughtfully and I think he what I love so much about my dad is I feel like because he chooses his words carefully, I think, you know, he's quite well respected, you know. And I found that that was really um, something that I admire a lot about my dad, that he's, a, you know, he's a hard worker and um, and he just, you know, thinks before he speaks, yeah.
0: which is. You know, that's Nick. And that's why it took him a whole act to say something
2: (laughs) (laughs) that's why he doesn't say shit for the first yeah 45 to hour and a half
0: i've been pretty quiet up until now yeah (laughs) the things are getting left out you know it's so crazy you you think about like so many people from jersey boys are from canada sergio is from canada yeah are there there's a lot of hispanic people in canada Mm
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, Canada is just, it's quite a multicultural sort of place up there depending on where you're going and, uh-huh. and all that kind of stuff. its I mean, it's a big country, you know. It's a, a very, I say it's a very wide country, so. Well, and
1: of course, De- Des McAnoff is from Canada too, of course, the director yes. of Jersey Boys. And, yep. and to kind of bring, like, Canada and hockey together too, so we found out that there, from Richard Hester, that there's a scene that's blocked in a hockey. <laughs> it's the the
0: the, <laughs> yeah. the backup sessions. We
2: have you got to look for it. It's not it's not in the movie, but it no, is no. definitely in the stage production. Yeah, and let me tell you that that hockey stick blocking is well protected. There's we yes. we all knew that we had to definitely honor that. There was no straying from that.
0: So yeah, that's,
1: okay. that's <laughs> so the well
0: oiled machine.
1: I think, exactly. Michael said that. The great part about working in jersey boys even though it is a well-oiled machine is that you still have room to play and add new elements to your character you can paint your
0: own corner of the machine
1: yes i love that i love that analogy so yeah it's a great analogy yeah could could you explain a little bit of just how you see nick massey and how you wanted to portray him
2: yeah i mean you know i have i always kind of approach things i'm to be totally honest i'm a big softy and I leave with my heart. Uh, that's just sort of who I am, I think, as a person. Um, and uh, you know, sometimes uh, maybe I'm a little too emotional, but you know, I, I remember sitting in the audience I mean i I agree, I agree, totally you, but I do <laughs> do feel like sometimes you know, uh, it doesn't always totally fit the story. So I have to be cognizant of like, you know, these are guys who are in this time period. And like, you know, some of them don't have the capability or their self-awareness to talk about their feelings as much as we do as actors. And so you got to kind of like, you just got to be cognizant of it, right? But, But yeah, I remember sitting in the audience and watching the show and saying, you know, what left off the stage to me was that Nick Massey is the heart of this group. I always felt like Nick Massey was the heart. He's the glue between Tommy and, and, uh, and Frankie. And he was kind of there at the beginning and kind of the quiet, silent type. And so I just knew that, like, I think that he was a funny character and definitely there was a lot of comedy to be mined in that character. But I also felt like I wanted to bring a certain level of heart to that role and, and really kind of come at it as Nick Massey, the heart of, of the four seasons there's a bit of a story about like des sitting at the back of the theater and you know when you kind of fuzz over your eyes and kind of like make your eyes blurry Mm -hmm. he would kind of sit at the back of his house and kind of like fuzz over his eyes and if there was anything in that kind of blurriness that felt like it was extra or like like kind of drew his eye from what was supposed to be focused on he'd be like matt get rid of that (laughs) Now that is Jersey Boys folklore, and I'm telling that like 10, 10 times down the road, so I don't know if that's actually true. I'm so.
0: gonna totally do that next time. I'm gonna go into ocular divergence <laughs> next time I see the show. Ocular divergence is my column. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's the name. That's the name of the episode, guys. We got right. it. Ocular divergence.
1: Of course, we're watching the movie again, and everything <laughs> you wear in the movie is brown. Everything. Yeah. Why you, you why brown that? Of course for know. fall that makes sense, but the entire movie
0: Maybe it's because you're paying a shit. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And everyone treats him like like that that's why he wants to start his own group. <laughs> that's yeah. why he, yeah. he dresses yeah. that way. But- yeah,
2: I mean it's interesting, like, um, so Deborah Hopper, who did the movie costumes, she's this, you know, unbelievable costume designer <laughs> and her team and you know, she's been working with Eastwood for ever and ever on men, you know, mm-hmm. like on all of his films. And so she's got all these great credits, but She also, like, really captures humanity very well. And so, like, where the stage production, you know, you have to amp everything up a million times because it's got to hit the back of the house. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think they did, you know, the stage production is amazing because they somehow managed to do that, but still make it feel legit and gritty and raw, right? And Um, intimate. I think, and intimate, yeah. You know, you're not, it's it's like sequined and it's bright colors, but you're not feeling like it's, you know, you're totally in... I don't know a slot machine in Las Vegas. You know, it's not that vibe. It's, it feels grounded in reality. Yes. Um. And I think Deborah's uh, approach to the costumes was to, you know, understand that she was costuming a musical, but at the same time, this was really kind of a lot like a biopic in yeah, a way. Of course. And so it was necessary to kind of like represent the time really well. And and let me tell you, she was the one of the most the coolest people. One of the first people I met. But I had like a you know a, an hour long costume um meeting with her before i even got on set which was super cool Mm -hmm. that's Um, beautiful yeah and we talked about everything from like the suits and she showed me everything that she brought like racks and racks of stuff and we talked about it all and it was it was pretty wild yeah um oh that's just right out of the gates yeah (laughs) to be kind of engaged as like an equal (laughs)
0: you know of course as an equal partner an equal partner Yeah. yeah
1: um well, be, I have a question if, if you want. I think we could go into like a real Nick deep dive now and then we can.
0: Let's ap- do it. Yeah. And Just then later we it. can let's see how, how you
1: kind of changed your approach between the show and the movie. Between the show
0: and the movie. Yeah. So yeah. let's let's go into our guys. This is the moment you've been waiting for. <laughs> um <laughs> This is... I'm so nervous. I'm like, it's been a
2: while since I I told these guys that I had to like, you know, rent the movie and like <laughs> study for this because I didn't want to be that that dolt who gets on a podcast and is like, I don't know, guys, I really don't know, but I I I did study.
1: I kind of want to start off with something. Really, I guess this is an extra emotional question. Um, but of course, in the the sit down scene. Or AKA the half a mill scene, we kind of go back and forth. Um, but when he says to, like, when when you say to Christopher Walken, it's like those guys with all their talent, they won't even know I'm gone. Like, why do you think Nick doesn't give himself more credit?
2: Yeah, that's a that's a really great question. Um, I actually think Nick does give himself credit, and I think that that's more pointed in that moment about the fact that you know they don't give him the credit. You know, there's this awful feeling. I think. At some point, Nick just realizes, "Hey, I'm obsolete. These people don't give a shit about me anymore. I'm just like I'm wallpaper to them. I'm a, you know, I'm an accessory." And, and I think, you know, that's hard. That's man, that's a hard feeling to feel obsolete, especially if you're, you know, your your brother or your 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 family member tells you, or it kind of just overlooks you. It doesn't even have to say it. You just feel it, and that's an awful feeling. And so I think. Yeah, I think um Nick just had to cut out because you can't deal with that for an extended period of time, especially if I think it had been brewing as long as it had in that group. And listen, like when I I just want to preface this by saying like This is a deep dive into the show, right? And so, like, I actually have no idea what Nick was necessarily feeling at that moment. Right. We don't. We don't know. know? We don't know
0: anything. Which is, yeah,
2: I don't. Unfortunately, because you know, sadly, we weren't able. I wasn't able to sit down and talk to him, like you know, some of my other friends were who got to talk to Tommy and Frankie and Bob. You know. know? Do you ever
1: feel that the? I feel like I should start my own group um, line because it is recurring. I now that I haven't really thought about this until you until you just said that because it's like it's like it's a threat because he knows that he is talented enough to do it, but it's also mm-hmm. like why aren't they fighting for me but it could also be a joke in some deliveries like have you ever mm-hmm. have you ever delivered like maybe I should start my own group in a more funny tone or no
2: yeah I, I mean, we were directed in the stage production to take it out and make it more introspective so that it was less of like that it was less of a dig to the other guys right. and saying like, hey, maybe I should start my own group. It was more like, you know, because that was sort of the the way the, the joke was structured throughout the, the script. Right, of course. Yeah, and then when we ended up doing it in the movie, you know, we did take it uh, more, they went with a take that was a little bit more introspective again mm-hmm. because I think, you know, that's sort of the vibe. But if Nick Massey is combative early on and if he starts to like, you know, dig at these guys early on, in the script and in the story, then that kind of, in an f- interesting way, has a tendency to undercut um, his blow-up speech at the end. Right. Exactly. Because, Definitely. you know, like if you, if you start to blow up before the big blow-up, yeah. then the big blow-up isn't so big anymore. Right, right?
1: yeah, because so, so, the foil so, with Tommy doesn't work as strongly. So he yeah. just keeps right.
0: taking it and taking it and taking it. I like to say that um, relationships are about watering each other's plants you know, that is a
2: beautiful metaphor thank you thank you yeah. i coined
0: it he did I dig it thank i dig yes. it yeah. um, <laughs> and um and that that's how relationships grow so and this is kind of tying tying into what we've been saying our theory is that nick watered everyone else's plants but no one kind of watered his
2: and it's such a betrayal ultimately i think that's the biggest thing mm-hmm. that It's such a betrayal yeah. of, of a family member on a, such a deep level and, like, I got to be real with you. That day that we were shooting um, the sit-down scene was, like, one of my last days. Mm-hmm. It was my birthday. Um, it was also Nick Massey's it's, birthday.
1: Oh, my God. On your September birthday? September 19th.
2: So, it was, like, there was a lot going on that day. And also, you know, when when we were filming that, we were in this place called La Canada, which is, like, La Cañada. But it was literally called La... I, like, looked on the schedule. and I was, like, we're going to La Canada? That's so cool. And it was it was really, really emotional. It was so hard that day. I just remember having to go between set or between takes and go off into the bushes and kind of calm myself down and stop. Cause I felt this overwhelming need. This is me, the softy coming out to just ball. Cause I was like, this is the end of it. Not only is it the end of our family, but it's the end of Jersey boys. For me, it's happening on my birthday. And I'm sure that people were like, um, uh, uh looks like uh, Michael Mendes out in the bushes uh, trying not to cry. Um, what's that about? But it like, and I think it probably slowed down shooting a little bit, but it was, I felt it to be really emotional that day. I love, I, I just have to say, I love that you guys love this kind of stuff because, you know, not everybody picks up on this stuff. They just see a show and they're kind of like, wow, that was really great. But they can't necessarily do the deep dive into why it was so great but it's like a testament to you both that you're able to kind of look at a show and be like why is it good? why is it great? and you yeah. geek out over that Thank stuff. You. That is awesome because that is the stuff that makes something really good and it's the, it's the stuff that makes something good great. I believe the, you know, art is in the details, right? I agree. And yes. so so that's super cool that you appreciate that because that takes a lot of work and and that's I think what makes Jersey Boys such a special show is that it feels like that work isn't there mm-hmm. until you really deep until dive deep in. dive Holy into shit. it yeah. right every then... everything is like orchestrated and it's all so smart.
1: Now this this is a big question for me. I'm honestly really about to cry. Okay, <laughs> so you in 2015. You posted the most profound quote that I think of seriously every single day. And it said that artists are driven between the desire to communicate and the desire to hide. And I can't help but think now that that is exactly like so exactly what I was thinking. Like I was feeling that hard at that time in 2015. I was going through a really rough time. But I feel like, was that kind of what you were feeling that day? And do you feel that's how Nick Massey felt during that sit-down scene? What do you think of that connection? Is that kind of too far-fetched? Or does that no make sense?
2: I mean, I think, I, th- I think it's interesting. Like, speaking in two senses. Like, as an artist, right? So I'll talk about that first. I think... You know, what we do for a living, and you guys are artists as well, too, so you understand this. You know, it's a vulnerable place to put yourself in. What you're trying to do is essentially you're trying to go out there and you're trying to tell a human story. And that requires vulnerability and a strength that is like Olympic level. Like I fully believe that like good actors, you know, Mark Rylance, Judy Dench, all these people. I feel like these people, you know, are Olympic level athletes in a way because that that takes a toll on you. It's it's scary, man. It's scary. Like I, truthfully, I don't, you know, as a theater person, I, I often, I'm like, why the hell am I putting myself through this? I'm so scared right now. But on the other side of that scared is you're pushing through to something really incredible and special and frankly addicting and wonderful. And, you know,
0: yeah. Did you watch Smash when it was on I TV? I did watch
2: a little bit of Smash. Yeah, Smash, yeah. So
0: um, Jack Davenport's character, Derek at the, the final episode of season 1 he's talking to Catherine McPhee's character Karen Cartwright and she has she, she's just taken off her Marilyn wig they're like right before a preview she's freaking out because Rebecca Duval is not doing the show anymore and she's had no time to prep and she's thrown off her wig and she's hiding in the dressing room and um he says so he sits next to her he says okay what happened and she's like does it matter he's like Actually, no, it doesn't. But art isn't therapy. Um, we don't. I mean, we don't. We don't work out our personal problems through theater. In fact, we take those problems and we completely exploit them to hell with how much they hurt. Actually, the more they hurt, the better.
2: I think it's your job as an actor and there's lots of different approaches to acting. So I'm, this is me getting up on my acting pulpit for a second here or my acting box. But, you know, I think part of our jobs as actors is to be that vulnerable and be that courageous and and be that raw and human, but also try and find a way to be able to separate yourself from that in a healthy way. It's you know like my brother's a nurse and he's dealing you know with all this kind of stuff every day and it's like so hard for him and he's got a lot on his shoulders but you know part of being a nurse part of like being a good nurse is like being able to go home and take care of yourself mentally so that you can go back in the next day and be the best nurse that you can you know it's all kind of that holistic approach and I think that yeah I think that 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 quote that you just said is really interesting and and the one that you referenced you was also you know I think speaks to this but. I do think that it's about like just finding a way to protect yourself and self-preservation is a, as a big thing, you know?
1: Definitely. Yeah. And well, as far as Nick Massey goes, do you feel like he was going through that too?
2: Yeah, I think probably like, I think he knew that he was an artist and nobody wanted to hear what he had to say, you know? And, and he had so much to say and, and really I think probably struggled with how he was going to do that, but it was just seemed to be falling on deaf ears largely. Um, and so I think, yeah, that was, you know, maybe he was going through an element of that for sure.
1: Oh well thank you thank you for finding that quote.
2: I'm glad it had, I'm glad it resonated with you, it you know. It really like,
1: did. It really Six resonated with me. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And and I'm glad that like, you know, you post things and you're like, I hope this resonates with somebody as much as it does with me and, and I'm glad it did.
1: Yeah. That's Where cool. did you find it?
2: Um, I don't know. I, I had to go back in my feed and like look. Um and I think it's like, uh, I don't even know who said it, to be honest, which is uh, bad. I but it's I know it's quoted. <laughs> Underneath the quote, it's, it is quoted. But I'm always kind of trying to find those things that really speak to me, um, especially, you know, when I started uh, teaching at AMDA, because I think lots of different people learn things in different ways. And so it's important to kind of figure out what your language is as a learner, like what, as a student. And like, if you don't, if you're a visual person versus you're like an oral, you know, like... It's just hard to sort of sometimes zone in on what everybody's thoughts are, so I try and find other people to really clarify that. And, uh, oh yeah, it big time. Well,
1: it, it was yeah. D. W. Winnicott that is. Okay, the cool. Yep.
0: Mm-hmm. Pardon oh, cool. me if this is this might sound insensitive, but I just got this thought. I feel like Nick Massey in Act One is just one big stutter.
2: Yeah, I can see that. I mean. You also like in, in my history, I do kind of like my history studies of it. It was a lot. You got to think that these guys were like young and from the neighborhood and they were going through a lot. They shot to fame. You know, they did their, they worked really hard, but I do feel like once they achieved that level of fame, that is like some next level stuff. So, so that's hard for anybody to deal with. So I think they all dealt with it in different ways. And I think it, you know, was maybe a little paralyzing at times. And I think Nick Massey got left in the dust a little bit because I don't know if he, you know, the character necessarily had the skills to kind of like take it to the next level like the other folks did, you know?
1: Just to uh, to clarify for our listeners, so the, Nick Massey, the character, it was with the band for a longer time than what it seems like um, compared to what actually happened in real life. He was with the band for only like two or three years.
0: Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. In the show, yeah. he's depicted mm-hmm. as staying with the band for a longer time than he actually did. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, cuz these guys were in and out of jail so much that
0: just, really chilling. <laughs> <right>, <laughs> exactly. You know.
2: Yeah. Um so like, you know, uh, there's lots of other um folks that kind of like cycled through the group. Which you do see elements of that in Act 2, but I think f- for the for the clarity of story, they wanted to kind of like zoom in Truth on Truth
0: versus right. Fact. But, Ron yeah. Melrose. <laughs> yeah. Um Definitely. it's it's um it, it's funny. Devin May when he was he was doing like a backstage video for for Playbill or for Broadway.com or one of those one of the websites where they they were at the current theater and he was like, yeah, we try to we try to commit at least five misdemeanors in each. City. <laughs> you know, you do, what you, can. Yeah. <laughs> you do what you
1: can. I love it. What would be your choice misdemeanor?
2: Oh geez, probably I'm. Drunk and disorderly, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> breaking, That's a good into one. A, breaking into a church. Yeah, breaking right. into a church, you know. <laughs>
1: What's your drink uh, of choice? What's oh, your I
2: you know i vodka soda if I'm like trying to have a bit of a tamer night, but then like probably like a rye. I, I like rye and scotch and whiskey, you know. Basically on That's the rocks.
1: That's my favorite too. Yeah, yeah well, just like a, a tame night. I can't do vodka.
2: <laughs> vodka, you know, I just have to. Vodka's, you know, a vodka soda. You, I, I feel like I can wake up the next day and like be cognizant. Whereas, yeah. you know, if I'm gonna tie one on, then probably whiskey. That's I
0: just, so I just did my first tequila shot a few months ago. It yes. was... No, tequila is one of these. It's no go for me. <laughs> yeah, it's a goodbye and good luck.
2: Yeah, yeah. see <laughs> yeah, you okay. on the other side. Well,
1: and, and Nick Massey's <laughs> trick was definitely a ride, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So. That's so cool. Okay. Well, wait, so speaking of, of bringing to a church, in the movie, when you were sliding onto the altar, it looked really fun and slick. <laughs> was that spontaneous? Or did you like, just kind of go for it?
2: Yeah, I did. You know, and I was like, guys, I don't know.
1: I do <laughs> it's was ballsy. Like,
2: I know. And so I did it, you know, and I'm, I, I didn't see anything in my research about Nick being like a good Catholic. (laughs) Uh, I'm sure he was, I don't know, but I was like, I'm just going to try it in the moment. And I did it in one take and then they liked it. And so they kept it. And we, we did it a couple times after that to get it right. But,
1: um, mm -hmm. well, you know what, I actually, I think this is a great place to take a break.
0: So we'll be right back (laughs) and we're back. We're back <laughs> he has to click the, 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 the... <laughs> that we are back with back.
1: Michael Lamenda again, Jersey Boys, legend, Canada cast, national Tour, Broadway, and of course, the movie starring Clint Eastwood, which we are going to deep dive into even further right now. but first thing
0: starring Clint Eastwood
1: yes, also starring there, there's
0: the, the, there's that funny there's that funny moment in Bob Cruz's party where Michael, if you could tell us that story
2: yeah I mean let's just say that he got in the mix like you know, sometimes you gotta dive under a piano when you got to dive under a piano and uh, i think they were um it was it was probably maybe campy who uh worked the steady you know he had the camera on his shoulders a lot he was doing steady cam work and uh they were trying to get coverage of the this great party scene with all these awesome characters. that was such a fun scene to do. And uh, they were swinging around to try and get all this coverage of the, of the, you know, of the great extras and party goers. And Eastwood was kind of behind and he just like dove under the piano and stayed there for the rest of the shooting. And I mean, I don't know how old Eastwood was at the time, but like he's in his 80s, like, you know, so, but he's, you know, he's in the mix. He's not sitting in some chair someplace and... And, you know, he's he's uh, definitely... Yeah. Abrams and Puck Avenue, you know, that's the scene.
1: The and there's also, I and I hate to yeah. say this, but there was a goof <laughs> in there where, because there's an Andy Warhol painting. And at the time, it was supposed to be 1959. That yeah. painting was in the 60s, too Come late on. it was What's it was going too on? early What's
2: going on?
0: yes Deep i noticed,
1: i noticed that the I first time that. i saw it and i was like ah, cause I, I took ap art history and i was really into it and i was like no. you
0: took ap oh. art history
1: yes i did did i pass I... the exam no did i learn everything <laughs> that i needed yes <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: i did not know that <laughs> i love awesome. that
1: i loved that class. i
2: gotta go i gotta go take a look
1: at that painting i'm pretty now. sure it oh, was, that. was not awesome. the correct year this is but it's, but hey but then again, I didn't pass my exam, so maybe I'm full of shit. I don't know. Uh no. oh, hey, oh, hey,
2: oh, There you go.
1: Oh, that's so cool. So in one of your interviews, you said that your movie audition was actually one of your top five worst auditions you ever had. What happened?
2: It was rough. Well, again, I need to preface because sometimes I was like, oh, man – if that's taken out of context, it could seem like the people on the on the other side of the table were the reason. No, it was all me. I was the one who boofed that one big time. But so the whole audition process for Jersey Boys for me was kind of like a long time coming. But um, I'll just focus on the one bit here, um, which was after we kind of um, were about to, we got the notice that we were closing the first national tour in San Francisco. I met Eastwood, and you know I didn't believe he was at the show, but I met him after the show and. I'll be totally real with y'all. I am a Canadian actor with zero film experience. So the thought that Eastwood would even think of me to be cast in the show was just so far off my radar that it was like, hey, this is going to be a cool opportunity for me to shake this icon's hand. And that's going to be the end of the story. And like I was like, if we hang around and talk, then I can mention that he shot Unforgiven. Hey, wow. You know, back in drum. So like there's a family connection and we can like shoot the shit and like, you know, whatever. And I'll have a good story. That was the extent of it. So really after the show, I kind of hung back and I was like, you know, and then he was about to leave and I, I was like, Oh, I got to say something. And so I walked up to him. And I said, hi, Mr. Eastwood. My name's Michael. I played Nick Massey. And he just kind of looked at me and just said, Oh, and then shook my hand. And then he was kind of like peaced out. Right. Um, And it was great. Like, that was it. And I was like, cool. (laughs) And then I got a call a couple weeks later. Um, I was back home uh, because we had, you know, flown back to Canada for my mom's birthday. And I was, you know, at home in Calgary and got a call saying, hey, um, they want you to audition for the film. And I was like, what? That's crazy. And um, it's at the end of May or something. And so I was like, shit, I got to book a flight. So I was like, okay, well, it's really expensive. So I'm just going to have to book it on the day. Of, that I, of my audition. So I flew in to New York early on the morning of my audition. Sunny day, beautiful day. And I was I like, got to my friend's place up in oh, wow. the 200s. Oh, wow. um, uh, just just mm-hmm. off of the A-line, it was fine, you know, and they have a beautiful place up there. And I'm like, yeah, come stay with us. My plan was to fly in in the morning. My audition was in the afternoon, had tons of time. And then I was going to fly back the uh, the next day. And so You know, I got settled and I got there and everything was fine. And I don't know New York at all. I didn't really know much about how to get around in New York at that point. That's Um, a hike to get up to the 200s too. You're probably like, where am I? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, yeah. And and they were like, don't worry about it. It's on the A-line. You're going way downtown, like 20 or something like that. You'll be fine. Um, You might want to like just, you know, whatever, just jump on the A-line and give yourself this amount of time. So they told me and it was great and I was fine. But as I'm getting closer to my audition, I go, I go, and I'm like, oh, man, it's, like, kind of looking like it might rain. Don't worry about it. Dressed in a full, nice suit. I have my stuff. Nervous as hell, but I'm like, okay, let's just go. I get on the A-line, and I get out at Washington Square thinking I'm going to, like, walk the rest of the way to calm my nerves down. I need to walk. Right? So, like mistake number 1 right like you don't walk 20 blocks in the middle of like and it was a warm day so like Aww. idiot move number 1 so i get out at washington square and um which i think is 45 or something like that and i got to get down to 25 and it is pouring rain it is torrentially downpouring i do not have an umbrella sucks and everything yeah <laughs> Yeah. And so I'm standing in Washington Square, like in my nice suit, like, you know, you want to look good for this big Hollywood audition. And sure enough, I stand there for no joke, probably 45 minutes just trying to flag a cab to get an Uber to come pick me up that will like, you know, get me down on this audition. I can't for the life of me. So I'm soaked oh no. from the waist down, like in this suit. And I'm sitting there going like, fine and then finally I get like an Uber X to come pick me up or Uber <laughs> Limo to come pick me up that will actually pick me up. And I get in this Uber limo and it is gridlock all the way down. So not only am I like, I'm now at this point at least an hour late for this Hollywood audition. And I'm like, I hate to be late. And so I'm like, oh, shit. And so I call my agency back in Toronto, but they're in meetings and they I can't get a hold of them. And I'm like, please, please, I'm on my way. Just tell them not to go yet. I've come all this way. I've spent all this money on this flight. I'm soaking wet, you know, but I'm going to make it there. Please tell them. And so they managed to get a hold of, of Jeff, the casting director. And, and by the time I get there, it's like, I think, 45 minutes in the cab. So it's like 120 bucks Uber ride down there. Friggin' limo. And I'm like, you know... Soaked, I looked like, whoops, I look like a rat. And I'm and I'm just like, how am I gonna make this work? I go upstairs and I'm just like, I just need to find a bathroom. So I find a bathroom and I'm like, you know, my face is plastered, my hair is plastered to my face, and I just look at myself in the mirror and I say, Look, I literally said this out loud. I was like, You've done this twelve hundred times. You can do it one more time. And so I took a deep breath and I went in and I did the audition and I came out afterward and Jeff, the casting director, was really nice. And he said, you know, thanks for coming in. And I said, yeah, I flew down. I'm really sorry about being so late. I flew down in the morning and Jeff was like, oh, I'm so sorry that I made, you know, I hate making people fly down for those things, which... You know, as an actor, if you like hear the casting director go, I'm so sorry. I made you come in all that way for this audition that you just bombed. <laughs> like, that's what you're thinking in your head, right? So I'm like, oh, man, I have totally blew it because he feels bad that I even came no, in. So I no. walked out of there going, oh, shit. Well, you like, nailed I just, it. I just blew the worst audition or the, you know, b- the biggest audition of my life. And so I just walked out and I was soaked. I went home. I like, you know, commiserated with my buddies who were letting me stay at their place and then flew back the next day. And, uh, you know, three weeks later, I got the call that I booked the movie. Oh, Come man. On. <laughs> what? And, well, you know, and like, yeah. denouement of the story. And I promise this is a long story. No. This will be the last bit. But, you know, uh, years later, uh, the first day, D and I became really good friends on the film. His name's Bernie and his wife, Jen, awesome people. And so we've stayed really close. And I was at their wedding and Jeff was there, the casting director. And I said, you know what, Jeff, I've never gotten a chance to tell you, you know, like, A, how, how really sorry I was and how I just like, I didn't really get a chance to tell you what it was like getting to that audition and why I was so disheveled. And he said, oh, dude, don't worry about it you booked the gig in San Francisco when Eastwood saw the show. Oh. So, oh, so that was on. like the nice, it was cool to hear that. Yes. Um, Talk about validation. And, right. You know, yeah, which was so nice to hear him say that. Yeah, but, and it's just a formality
1: um, too. Well, but I have to say there's a great line. I, I, I forgot, I'm not sure exactly who said it, but they say, you haven't lived in New York until you've died in New York. And that <laughs> yep. is a key example. That's
0: one of her favorite quotes. <laughs> yeah. No, I, mean, I feel yeah.
1: you with the audition and the rain. I've been there. I, I yeah, in the rain to and the rain. Yeah. To quote <laughs> yeah. Jack Davenport. yeah, I, I have I have a whole story I can tell you too about getting stuck in the rain when for yeah. something that I didn't even have to do. But it was because I was a I was TDing um, Elizabeth Welch's one woman show at Green Room Forty Two, and it was actually right after Renee Marino had her show, and I missed it. And I wanted to go see it and see the space. Oh, Fun, yeah. Yes. Um, But so I I was her technical director and I was just trying to like, you know, go and just like really let her know that i took this really seriously and i did the best i could i wanted to see the space i wanted to check all the outlets just everything that i needed and just to reassure her so i did um and of course 10th avenue death avenue <laughs> i'm sure you've been on that that part of the west side and i i was yes. drenched too and i and for some reason i always know where i'm going in new york but when i'm on that far out i can't get back for some reason i, I yep. i'm like oh i'll take I'll, I'll go this way to get to times square that will be a little bit easier but I'm like, no, I'll do this way instead. And I just get in this warp for no reason. Soaked and then I have to get on the L train at the time. And the L train was <laughs> terrible. And I was like, no. Yeah. So, yeah. you're... I well, I, I'm happy to know that you had to go. Well, you had to go through. But you went through it too. So it seems like I'm, I'm on yeah. my way to do something a little bit no, bigger.
2: No, I read your mail. I totally read your mail. It's very, <laughs> it's very easy to fall on your face in New York when it comes to like transit and all that jazz. It's very it's easy. It's the worst.
1: Yeah. Oh, but yeah. that's crazy. Oh, well, okay. So you <laughs> nailed that audition. Congratulations. Exactly. I mean,
2: and I, going and guess it, it worked out. Let's just say that. Yes.
1: <laughs> so when did you first audition for the show? And you originally auditioned for Bob Gaudio, right?
2: Yeah, so this is going back even further was um, they came up to Toronto and I don't—I think they were there maybe looking for um, probably Broadway replacements at the time. The show was just kind of out and I was still quite young and I went in and I sang this song, Smoke Gets In Your Eyes. And, and you know, again, it was another situation where I just was like, I was dressed in a suit. And I'm like, I'm going to walk and clear my mind. By the time I got to Roy Thompson Hall where the audition was, I was drenched. I looked awful, again? you know, like you're like. You're like, why did not you you learn learn your lesson? Oh, wait. this is the first
0: one. This is the first one. Yeah.
2: So it's like, you know, and my folks were in town visiting. So it was like that added pressure of like, oh, I can't wait to hear how it goes, you know? And you're like, and it's a big show. At that time, Jersey Boys had kind of just come out. And so I, I, you know, I went in for my vocal coaching and, and transposed the song and went in. And you can just feel it when you sing the song. And I was like, oh, I... I did transpose this, and and I feel like I'm singing in a different language, and and I sound like I'm a you know swinging a bag of cats around, and like I just let my nerves get the best of me. And then I did the bob sides, and it was just a very polite and simple. They were all, of course, lovely as they always are. If you ever get an opportunity to audition for these folks, they're the best people in the world. Um, and and they were so kind, and they just said you know thank you very much for coming in. And I left, and it was just one of those auditions where you're like. That was just awkward. I, is it possible to cram any more awkwardness from in the five minutes? Not possible. No. So that, that lived on in my, and I just like sulked home in shame and was like, yeah, it went awesome. Mom and dad, so great. Oh, just no. can't wait to hear back from them. So that was the was first time very... I auditioned for Jersey Boys. Okay. And then mm-hmm. they came back again um, to Toronto and my agent called you know called me up and said hey they want you to see you and i was like that's impossible um there's no way (laughs) that they want to see me again yeah (laughs) and i was like that was seriously the worst audition i had in a real long time and she was like no you were on some sort of short list and Uh i was like get out of town so just you know caveat here you never really know how it goes right so um it's about timing and so then i went in and uh and at that time, I had a little more experience with the show, and I and I was going in for Bob, still going in for Bob. And I think it was because I had classical piano on my resume, maybe, and and uh, and I just sort of did some research because I think Chicago and the first national tour were up at that time, and I, I kind of looked at all the people who were in the show, and I was like, I sing bass, and I and I kind of look scruffy. Case in point, um, and. Like, I'm not, I'm not a baby-faced, kind of, like, young energy type of guy. I'm a little bit more laid back. And I said, I just wonder if I should call my agency and see if I can get the Nick Massey sides. So I got the audition material for the Nick Massey stuff, and I said, I'm just going to – would you mind sending it to me? I'm just going to look at it and just, like, have it in my back pocket in case, right? And so I go in for this audition, and Richard Hester's there, and, you know, casting directors are there, and um, I think it was – wasn't Mary, I think it was Tara Rubin was there. Um, so they were there and did my bob stuff like I always did, but I chose a different song and my song I I kinda tried to like let them know that hey I have a bass voice. So I sang um In the Still of the Night. And which I love that song, but like a total goofball, I sang the bass part when it comes in in the breaks. So it sounded like I was like, you know, I don't know Five people trying to sing one song, which is not, I would not advise that if you were choosing audition material. But in my head, I wanted to show them that I had a really, you know, I had a falsetto, but I also had bass notes. Right. So I sang that song. I did the sides and Tara Rubin comes out from behind the desk and she looks at me and she's just like, hmm. And she says, I'm sorry, I'm just looking at you. And then after a moment, she said, I think we want to have you read for a different character do you know the character Nick Massey? And I just was like, I like... Do I ever. Thinking in moment, <laughs> this is the best day of my life. Because <laughs> you like, you know, as an actor, you spend a lot of years trying to figure out what your skill set is, kind of how you fit into the mix. And, you know, people have different perspectives of you and like I'm a tall guy and so people often want me to sing tenor, but frankly, I'm a bass,
0: you know? Takes a lot of time and a lot of ease. Yeah, yeah and so like...
2: Yeah. You know, you really have to kind of like essentially figure out how to orchestrate it for you. And in that moment I was like I was prepared. Right. You know, I was prepared for that one time. So I went and got the sides and did the Nick Massey stuff and got called back.
1: Yes. I because so. you took the initiative to get them. And I, I I always wonder this like with with casting directors too. Cuz if, if they ask you like like do you know Nick Massey? Usually like they assume the answer is always going to be yes. That you're going to be prepared. Mm-hmm. But what if what if someone doesn't have them. Like what if like you know, it's just like no, but I would love to try. And and, good luck. Right. Yeah. I know. So it's like you have to you have to do your homework
0: right before well,
1: your
2: audition. I, you know, years later I auditioned for the first national of um Bronxdale. And I came out and auditioned for Mary and she was lovely and I flew out and I was like, this is a show that you know like that I would love to be a part of and And, uh, I got out there with one character's sides prepared and ready to go. And I went in and, you know, they saw me once they saw me in person, they saw me as a different character. And so, you know, I'd flown out and they had me come back again and again until I went to finals for that character. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was like, sometimes that happens and yeah, you're right. You have to be prepared. You have to know the show well enough. I mean, there's only so much you can do, um, but you just have to be open as an actor to kind of like go with the flow. Of course, Basically,
0: definitely. be like King Scar and yeah. be prepared. <laughs> 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 but that how, would be a good yeah. role for you. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, Scar. That'd
1: be really cool. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's Oh, fun. yeah. That'd
1: be awesome. <laughs> well, how, how do you, so if you ask your agent or your manager to get size for a different character, what if they don't send them to you?
2: Then it's like valid, you know, it it was, it's always a discussion. Like your, your, your agent is, I think, you know, my agent is so great in Toronto and at the time they obliged me and, and, you know, and I I wouldn't necessarily say, you know, you should bring inside and say to the casting director, I actually see myself as this, you know, I want to read for this. But I, I would say like, if you do feel like you might possibly be a better fit for somebody else, then do the work on those sides and and you know prepare for that stuff because chances are you know casting directors are really good at their jobs um they're used to seeing people and they're used to rooting out people's skills and so chances are like what happened in my instance they kind of recognize that oh yeah this guy can sing bass and maybe he is right because they're really good at their jobs and that is their jobs of course so if you're prepared for it um then at least you know that, and the stars align as they say, aha,
1: uh-huh. um, yes, you know, <laughs> stars are alive.
2: Then, uh, then you can capitalize on that opportunity,
1: definitely. So. Awesome, Mercury's um, always in Taurus when you're in a casting yeah. room,
0: exactly. <laughs> and so, I have a question: so, what is your vocal range?
2: Well, uh, so when I arrived at Sheridan College, which is where I went to musical theater school, mm-hmm. I arrived. And my vocal range was two octaves below a B-flat, below middle C. So What? Which is like not a vocal range. <laughs> like it's not, like my highest belt note was a B-flat below middle C.
0: Wow. So, wow.
2: And let me just say that that has to do with where I grew up with, you know, largely, I think. Um, I grew up in Alberta and I'm, you know, when you're surrounded by you know, manly men and you are, you know, I didn't know it at the time, but I was like a closeted queer kid growing up in a small town trying to make sure that I sounded like the dudes. Um, it has an effect on your voice. And so, uh, so it was kind of wild to get out there. And like all of the songs I had were transposed down to this like ridiculous key. And I remember the accompanist at the time being like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Like, what is with these songs and they said like (laughs) you know and they were also like i was wearing this anyway it was a funny (laughs) um but bottom line you know it it took me several years to kind of realize that like oh you have to a you in order to survive in this business you have to develop your range further than that and also to like kind of unpack all of the bad vocal habits that i did you know, developed from growing up in Alberta, um, and I love Alberta, but you know, just kind of the psychology of growing up in kind of like a guys, guys world as a musical theater kid. You know,
0: so sure. Um, just for our listeners' sake, um, he's talking about the basically if you know the musical Hades Town. He's talking about we're talking about some Hades notes, right? Because in in the song Build a Wall, in yeah. he's singing that G below the C below mid so this is the the G below the C below middle C yeah that's some like low shit so you know, like- that's the kind of range we're talking about here that is nuts because yep. I I ask because you know you 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 look at you look so what's what's your top note right now?
2: Um, I mean, truthfully, I haven't done a whole bunch of things, but I I had to kind of develop like an A-flat. Okay. You know, like a rock A-flat. And I would say, like, that's still, like, in order to be considered a, like, legit, like, an actual castable person in musical theater, as a baritone, you need to kind of have. You got to have,
0: well, so in Jersey Boys, I mean, the highest note that Nick sings in the score is the A in Who Loves You when you come in with your harmony part on your entrance. Who loves you, pretty baby? Who's gonna help you through the night? So, so... Honestly,
2: Which was ha- tr- a huge challenge for me. Yeah. And like, I basically had to kind of like figure out a way to navigate that. And there were times where truthfully it was hard as hell. And I'd never smoked in a show before. And so that was also an interesting thing to navigate. And, you know, I love Ron Melrose's arrangements. But there you, you can't sit back and be lazy in a Ron Melrose arrangement. Like, it's just not how it goes. And so... You got to navigate that. So it was a challenge.
1: And you have to s- scream your 10 years. So how do you stay yeah. healthy doing that too?
2: Uh, well, breathing. I always f- feel like, you know, the the great thing that happens is that like at that point of the show, all of my high notes are at towards the end of the show. So you've had a whole shorter kind of like warm up with that a little bit. And you've been that's dancing. That's what Key and Hines so Jr. said.
0: Yeah. I mean, really,
2: that's what you... you So what was hard about the actually shooting the film was that I think we did it 14 times. And, you know, I had no warm up that day. 14 times. Other than like I knew that it was going to be hard on my voice. So I did a vocal warm up just, you know, which is rare. You know, you don't usually do that for a film thing. Mm -hmm. But I knew that it was going to be hard on my voice because they had to get coverage in that room. Like wide shots, close up shots, everybody shots while this speech was going on. And truthfully, I'll be real. I lost my voice, mm-hmm. and you can hear part of the rasp in there. And that I think was also part of it too. Was like I, you know, I, the emotionality of that day didn't help when I started to lose my voice too. I was like, "Fuck!" I get to my one day, right. and I'm
0: like, I'm starting to lose my voice. Like, and well, it
1: worked know. because we saw the emotion.
0: It and the in the show, the the transition from begging into that scene is probably my favorite transition in the show because the whole stage is black. You see, you see, um, Lichtenstein inspired. Yeah, exactly. And Mm -hmm. all you see is, um, the guy in the suit and the hat behind the car and -hmm. they're walking against this Christopher Walken uh, (laughs) again, you know, they're walking on the catwalk and Gia actually pointed this out. It was brilliant and they're walking down the spiral staircase into a Mm -hmm. downward spiral into one of the into the lowest point Mm -hmm. of the group
1: downward spiral much and and the
0: the the drummer is playing on the hi hats at -hmm. that point it's Mm -hmm. just really really cool um and just the sit down scene is just one of the best moments in contemporary musical theater
2: yeah it's i mean it's also like it's all kind of been Coursing towards this, you know, like we're on this train and it stops dead, you know, in the second act for this like really long scene. Like when you look at it and long for a musical. Right. And we just like we're like, OK, let's go. And it works because they've done such a brilliant job of constructing the front half of the show to kind of like pay it off in the second half. So,
1: yeah, And um. it's very Shakespearean. That was pure Des. Well, we do have one question from our audience members. She is wonderful. Her name is Amy Blaine Penk, and she is wondering if you could judge, if you could be a judge on any reality show, food or talent, what would you choose?
2: Oh, that's a good question, Amy. Um, First of all, I'm a bit of a like a like I that's sort of like my um, my guilty pleasures. These reality TV shows I love watching the creative process of like Project Runway, RuPaul's Drag Race, Great yes, British RuPaul. Bake Off. And you got you know. to
0: sing on one. You got to sing yeah, on two.
2: Yeah, I got to sing on two actually. That was yeah. super fun. Um, I would say, I got to be honest, just cuz I love food so much Great British Bake Off. I mean that nice. might not be the most glamorous uh, answer, but I'm just going to I like I don't understand how they only eat like one bite of all the food. I'm sure they get sick of it, but I would just love tasting all that food.
1: That's, that's great a perfect, choice yeah i love it that's awesome yeah
0: and so great with that i think this is a great place to cap off here to finish off um this has been another episode of silhouettes jb guest um <laughs> the pod and right. um thank you so much again michael amanda follow him everywhere can you please tell the audience members what your instagram is
2: yeah it's just michael amenda most of the time um instagram twitter facebook um i have a very outdated website um so don't bother going to that um and then i have a production company called little bull productions as well too little bull
0: productions
2: yeah, yes, which you would
1: love to hear more about. Oh yeah, I mean it's Another a film,
2: Yeah, it's a film production and graphic design company that we run here out of LA. So it's it's a lot of fun and it's kind of become my passion. So it's awesome. awesome. That's awesome.
0: Congratulations. Yeah. Check Thanks. out Little Bull Productions. Check out Michael Lamenda on social media. Um, find us Silhouettes JB Podcast on Instagram, Silhouettes JB Podcast underscore on Facebook, Silhouettes JB Podcast. Join our Facebook group, Silhouettes JB Podcast Group. Um, thank you so much to Anchor for sponsoring us and for being our distributor, Anchor.fm y'all are the best, check us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker um, Anchor and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts too that would be great if you've had a good time listening to us and um, I think I covered it right Yes it is. <laughs> and so
1: And thank you so much, Michael Lavenda, for joining us. This was truly a dream come true. And we can't thank you enough. Thank you. Oh, uh, so y'all much.
2: are the best. You just y'all. it's been such a pleasure. And I just love I love talking to people who love theater as much as you do. You you're the reason why. The stories that you tell about, you know, being in the audience and, and, and that kind of stuff. You you're the folks that we uh, that we dream about in the audience. So you keep us going. So so yeah, it's a great it's a great pleasure. Uh,
1: Yay, Asalut. thank you so much. And yes, Asalut. the big one. Absolute. Absolute. <laughs>